0: Let's take a little time and talk now About the state that we are living in mm. Political spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber yeah.
1: Hey, Philly listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. I certainly am excited to be with you today. Since our last time together, the midterm elections have taken place. I made some predictions last week. Not totally accurate, but then again, we don't quite know the full story yet. Uh, but my prediction was that the Democrats were going to continue to maintain control in the Congress, both the House and the Senate. I certainly uh, uh, made a prediction that in Pennsylvania, uh, Shapiro would be our next governor. Did not take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. I get it. Uh, but I also believe that John Stetterman uh, will become our next senator and flip uh, that Senate seat for Pennsylvania, uh, now, as we look around the country, uh, it looks like the Republicans will take the House. We're not sure yet. Uh, there's still about 22 seats uh, that have to be decided. Uh, it looks like the Democrats uh, have, are the odds on favor to maintain the Senate, but we're not sure yet. There's going to be a runoff in Georgia, uh, and we are still waiting on the results of of the Nevada Senate race. Uh, so there's still some things left to be decided. But one thing we know for certain: there was no great red wave. Uh, and typically, in the uh, at the midpoint of any presidential term, uh, the opposing party normally gained significant amount of seats uh, in both the House and the Senate. Didn't happen this time, and certainly across the country. We did not see a great red wave. As a matter of fact, Maryland has its first black Democratic governor. We did see that uh, the Democratic governor in Nevada was unseated. That word came in last night. There's a lot going on out there. And so I wanted to continue our conversation today about the voting process, about what's going on in Pennsylvania. Uh, And we've got two great guests for you. Uh, Our first guest. Uh, He is the senior advisor to the Committee of Seventy and the chair of Ballot PA. Uh, We're going to learn about both of those organizations today, but I want you to do me a favor. Let's welcome into the pastor's office for the first time uh, David Thornburg. Mr. Thornburg, welcome into the pastor's office. Come on in. Have a seat.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Mason, for uh, allowing me in, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
1: Now, don't worry. Our listeners are well aware of the fact that we're, that you're on the phone, that you're not in the studio. I just like to do that. It makes them feel good. It makes you it feel like that cozy fireside chat uh, atmosphere that FDR promoted. So, so we uh, we welcome you to the <laughs> absolutely. We welcome you in and thank you for taking time to be with us. Listen, first and foremost, let's give some education. Why don't you share with our listeners what the Committee of Seventy is all about?
2: Sure. Uh, it, it was uh, my pleasure to uh, be the CEO of the Committee of Seventy in the past uh, seven years, although as you know that I have a different role now, which we'll, we'll talk about. But C- Committee of Seventy has been around for a long time, 1904, and it was founded by community leaders who were concerned about um, the way our political process was working. <laughs> And felt a need, uh, the need that people, for people of goodwill and integrity, to stand up and say, "We got to be, uh, we got to watch this process, and we have to protect this process, and we have to improve this process." So that's uh, what the Committee of Seventy has been doing over the years, and particularly um, in the last uh, uh, couple of decades, uh, working to educate uh, Philadelphia voters and and actually Pennsylvania voters as well about the choices that they have and then leading them through the the wilderness as changes are made to the voting process we all know that in 2019 we were allowed to uh, to vote by mail for the first time and that brought on a, a real challenge of educating voters and then of course in the 2020 election there were just uh, all kinds of uh, uh what turned out to be crazy claims about the integrity of the process and the Committee of Seventy uh, stood tall uh, at that moment to give people confidence. So so that's that's the Committee of Seventy in a nutshell. But as I said, I uh, stepped down as the CEO in January and and, and and have a new role, which is actually very relevant to your conversation about um, the midterm election. So I'm looking forward to getting into that with you.
1: Absolutely. You are now currently the chair of Ballot P.A., uh, so so now let's share with our listeners what Ballot PA is all about.
2: Sure. So Ballot PA actually is a project of the Committee of Seventy. So I kind of executed a pivot. And Al Schmidt, the former city commissioner, is now the CEO of, of the Committee of Seventy. And I'm running a Ballot PA process. Here's the problem that we're trying to address. Um, unlike almost every other state, 41 other states, Pennsylvania, prohibits independent voters from voting in primary elections. So unless you are a registered Republican or Democrat. And by the way, there's nothing in the Constitution uh, that says that in order to vote, you, you, you have to be registered in the party. But there was a law written in 1937 that said that if you're not registered as a Republican or Democrat, you can't vote in primaries. There are 1.3 million voters, 1.3 million voters, It's roughly the size of the city of population of Philadelphia, so think of it that way. 1.3 million independent voters in Pennsylvania who are prohibited from voting in primary elections, and we're trying to change that. We're trying to repeal that law and make sure that every voter gets to vote in, in every election. Um, I mentioned that this is relevant to your very well-articulated overview of this midterm election because, and this is a story that most folks haven't focused on, so I'm glad to have a chance to tell it. These midterm elections in Pennsylvania and elsewhere were highly influenced by the votes of independent voters because we've gotten to a point in time where basically we've got, you know, a, a team wearing red shirts and a team wearing blue shirts. And almost all the time, like 95% of the time, those two teams vote for their teammates wearing the same color jersey. So they kind of cancel each other out, um, which means in a close election in a place like uh, Pennsylvania, those 1.3 million voters uh, actually, have a lot of influence, and if you looked at the exit polls, uh, Josh Shapiro won and John Fetterman won, not exclusively, but um, but they won thanks to very, very uh, convincing mar- margins uh, of support from independent voters. So uh, that's uh, I just wanted to demonstrate how important those folks are. and, and, and But also to, to, to come back to this point and ask the question, why is it that these important voters, well, t- t- we can talk some more about who they are, why are we shutting them out from primary elections? One final thought on that, we've got uh, upcoming elections in Philadelphia, obviously, in 2023, in, in which because of the way the registration works, really only the primary, the Democratic primary election matters. And we're going to then shut out about uh, 120,000 voters in Philadelphia simply because they've chosen not to register in a party. So I'll stop there, and I'm sure you have some more questions. But I think it's a really, really, it's a
1: voting rights issue. Uh, that, That to me is... Is why we ought
2: to pay attention
1: to this. Yeah, and you know what? What I guess what what boggles my mind, and and you you shared with us that uh, this law was passed in 1937. It's 2022. So two things right. there. <laughs> one, one. Why was the law passed in the first place? Uh, that that I, I want to understand that, and I want our listeners to understand that. And then now in the In the almost uh, 90 years since the law was passed, why has there not been a human cry out from the wilderness from independent voters themselves uh, uh, saying, (laughs) hey, we want an opportunity uh, to have our voices heard in the primaries?
2: Yeah. Well, two two great questions. Let me start with the first. Um, The law was passed to respond to a problem that doesn't exist anymore. So it's thoroughly out of date. The problem at the time was there were lots of political parties, and they had confusing and very similar names. So when it came time to election time, you know, there would be like a a Republican Party of Jefferson County or Republican Party of Philadelphia County or, you know, Democratic Party of Westmoreland County. And and voters got confused, and the the, the the goal uh, of the parties was to try to dilute the vote. So that problem doesn't exist anymore, frankly, because we made it more difficult to register a party in, in Pennsylvania. So it's another—this it happens all the time in government. You know, you solve a problem—you think you solve a problem, and then time goes by, and that problem goes away, and then you've caused another problem. <laughs> And now it's time to fix that other problem. You know, the the frustrating thing on this issue is that um, the two parties control the process. They control the laws that are passed and the laws that are put in place. And they don't have to answer to independent voters. Because why? Because they're shut out of primary elections. So there's kind of a built-in... You know, kind of free play zone, or there, there, there's built-in protection, political protection from uh, from the, the wishes of independent voters. But, but again, that's what we're trying to change, and uh, we've got a good uh, momentum and, and head of steam. Uh, because I, th- as you point out, 90 years go by. <laughs> that was then. This is now. I'll, I'll say, by the way, you can file this away. Also in that 1937 law is a provision that um, requires polling places to provide a lantern to voters so that if they have trouble seeing the ballot, they can use the lantern. So that tells you how
1: thoroughly out of date that is. I didn't see lanterns when I went to vote this past week. (laughs) Right. So if we can exactly. do away with that, I'm certain we can do away with this this uh, archaic law. Hey, you're listening to Philly's Favor, 100.7 FM. We're talking to David Thornburg, who is the chair uh, of Ballot PA. Listen, if you just tuned in, I really want you to get this. We're talking about 1.3 million Pennsylvania voters who are not able to vote in the primary elections. Uh, did you really know this was going on? Did, did you have a clue? Uh, This is when I saw this, I had to talk to David because this is to me, it's crazy. Uh, So, David, let's let's spend the rest of the interview talking about what ballot PA is doing sure create change, because as you clearly stated, the Republicans nor the Democrats really have any great uh, uh, level of uh, 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 urgency uh, to get this handled, because they monopolize the process. So, so how yeah. is Ballot PA moving forward to get this matter resolved?
2: Sure. Let me throw in just a quick, two quick things, which I think really hit the nail on the head. One thing we've learned is that half of all veterans are political independents. So that means in Pennsylvania that there's somewhere around 400,000 veterans, men and women who served the country, put their lives on the line, come home to Pennsylvania, and they're told they can't vote. Imagine that. The other thing which I, I, I think is also meaningful is about half of all young people, when they register for the first time, register as independents. And you know how important it is to get our young people involved in, in the community and the political process. But same thing. We sort of, you know, beckon them with one hand and then turn them away with the other. So those are, I think, really two extra good reasons why we've got to change this. In terms of what we're up to, it's pretty straightforward. It's good old-fashioned politics. Um, there are bills, uh, have been bills in both the House and the Senate with bipartisan support. And we're trying to organize uh, folks, uh, both independent voters and, and um, Democratic and Republican voters, to um, share their voices and support for this issue and, and see if we can move it on. You know, we're moving into January, where we have a new governor and a lot of new members of General Assembly, the House and the Senate. And, um, you know, we're, we're confident that we're going to get some fresh wind in the sails. So there are, I I just want to point out there are two, there's a number of Philadelphia area legislators who are very supportive of this issue, and I wanted to just name a couple. One is uh, State Representative Jared Solomon from the uh, Northeast, and the other is State Representative Chris Rabb, uh, who was my state rep. So I just want to give those folks a shout out. So short story is, you know, we're going to be working with folks like them and the new governor to see if we can get this done. as I said, I, I think I see this as a voting rights issue. And you know how hard all of us have worked over the years to make sure that everybody who's eligible gets a chance to vote. And I think it's just appalling uh, that this is one voter that really doesn't have the voice that all other voters do. So that's our, uh, our challenge for the next year or two, but we're going to go at it. And, and I, I should point out that the website. Is BallotPA.org. If uh, your listeners want to take a look and sign our digital petition, uh, we'll make sure that we uh, keep in touch with
1: them and uh, uh, enlist their support as well. I-, I certainly wanted to make clear that there is a way for our listeners to get more information, and I want to encourage our listeners uh, to go to BallotPA.com, ballotpa Please get more information uh, on this matter. And I am asking you to sign the petition. Uh, I agree with David. This is a voting rights issue. And the fact uh, that this has been allowed to be in place now for 90 years almost, uh, it's just amazing to me that we've not heard more about this. Uh, So again, David, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing uh, to correct this situation, Uh, and I want you to know that as you continue to move forward in this journey, if we can be of assistance to you in getting the word out, we're right here for you. Uh, But again, we want our listeners to go to BallotPA.org, and listen, we thank you uh, for joining us in the pastor's office this Sunday. We appreciate you, sir.
2: Thank you so much, Pastor Mason. BallotPA.org, and I really appreciate your
1: interest and support on this issue. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Philly's favor, listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office, and I certainly want to thank our first guest, Mr. David Thornburg of Ballot PA, uh, for the information that he provided. And now what I want to do is take a deep dive uh, into how the midterms impacted Pennsylvania. There were some historic happenings on Tuesday night, uh, and I couldn't think of anybody better to come in and talk to us about these historic happenings uh, than Mrs. Denise Clay Murray. Uh, she is a reporter and editor for the Philadelphia Sun and actually uh, has her own radio program called the Philadelphia Hall Monitor. Mrs. Murray, welcome into the pastor's office.
3: Why, thank you. I, I, I hope I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> This sounds a lot like the principal's office,
1: you know, but... Hey, listen, hey, listen, spoken like a young lady that grew up in the church, you know what happens in the pastor's office.
3: Yes. Yes, I do. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Well, listen, uh, we want to thank you for giving us your time today to talk about the midterm elections. Uh, we've been talking about them on the show uh, for the last several weeks uh, as as well. Uh, is interviewing all of the candidates for the upcoming mayoral race uh, mm-hmm. next year. Uh, but why don't we just start out? First of all, just talk to us about your general thoughts uh, as relates to Tuesday. What shocked you? What uh, what disappointed you? Uh, give us some of your
3: thoughts. Well, probably what shocked me is the fact that the Democrats did as well as they did in the midterms, because traditionally— the party that's in power, um, their stand. The party that's in power at- in the White House gets shellacked everywhere. They lose gubernatorial seats. They lose legislatures. They just do a lot of losing unless you're in states that are very, very tied to one party or the other. What surprised me here is just how well Democrats did in Pennsylvania, because you know. James Carville described Pennsylvania the best to me. It's Philadelphia, it's Pittsburgh and it's Alabama in between. And I was kind of surprised that Alabama actually the Alabama section of Pennsylvania decided that they wanted to vote like the rest of Pennsylvania or the two big cities Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and that Democrats did so well. Now what didn't surprise me, what I kind of, you know, already saw coming was that our congressional delegation didn't change a whole lot in Pennsylvania. Because, you know, people may not like their in people may not like Congress as a whole, but they generally love their individual congressperson. And even with redistricting, you know, you were you were not gonna be able to take out a Dwight Evans or even a Brendan Boyle in in Philadelphia. So I wasn't surprised that the congressional delegation hasn't really changed a whole lot.
1: Two two points that you brought up there. Uh, First is the fact that the Democrats did not do uh, as poorly as history would have predicted they would have done. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and, and I'm debating on why that is, and I want to get your thoughts. Is it because Biden is a better president than most people think he's been? Is it because Trump is just more hated uh, than, than we think he is, or is it a combination of both?
3: It's a combination of—actually, I, I, I think that folks are still, you know, in, in some ways trying to process the fact that the president of the United States is accused—the former president of the United States was accused of trying to bring our democracy down. So January 6th, whether people want to admit it or not, is still a big deal. Plus, Biden did a lot of things with the slim majorities in the Senate and the House that he had, um, you know, during his first two years in office. But I think what really did the Republicans in, in a lot of ways, was the Dobbs decision. Now, your audience... Might not know, but the Dobbs decision is a decision that um, got that that pretty much said that a woman that women no longer had the right, the constitutional right to an abortion, and a and a lot of um, referendums or charter changes in a lot of states were focused on that, and women came out to vote for those charter changes, and those votes helped Democrats because as those um things went so went the state generally. Like for example in Michigan. Michigan flipped both houses from Republican to Democrat and retained the governor's and retained the governor's mansion. And part of that was because there was a ballot question on the Michigan ballot regarding a woman's right to choose. And that won heavily. So Sure, Biden and Trump played a part in what happened on Tuesday, but the argument could be made that the, Trump, that the part that Trump played was by putting three ultra-conservative justices on the court, having them vote to abolish Roe v. Wade, and anger women enough to where they went to the polls and said, this will not stand
1: yeah 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 I think that decision is is coming back to haunt the Republicans, but here's another another thing that I saw, particularly in Florida uh uh the redistricting uh uh in Florida uh really really uh has changed the dynamic uh of of their congressional delegation. Uh, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact is one of the primary reasons that it looks like I say look like that we still got about 20 seats that are not decided but it looks like the Republicans will retake the house why do you think redistricting did not have as great of an impact on Pennsylvania and i know you said it because we love folks but when you push more republicans into a district or you you reduce the size of another district i mean as you see in florida it has a great impact
3: well, because the gerrymandering wasn't allowed to stand in Pennsylvania. Because believe me, I saw some of the maps before they were struck down by a combination of the courts and Governor Tom Wolfe. Pennsylvania could have gone the exact same way. But folks were like, no, we're not going to have that. And unfortunately, Florida and North Carolina's maps aren't going to be seen by the courts until after this election. So, you know, a- another state that I saw that was even worse than Florida, if that's possible, was Wisconsin. I mean, it- it's amazing what redistricting did in Wisconsin. It's to the point where, you know, you have a Democratic governor and you have more people that voted Democratic in that state and yet all of the seats in the house in the senate and in congress are rec- are held by republicans and if you look at that map if you look at how um wisconsin was gerrymandered it- it's some amazing stuff i think that what's going to happen due to these maps is that the m- move towards having independent bodies do redistricting is, is going to start to pick up steam because and and this is just me I've always felt it's kind of weird for the people that have the most skin in the game, namely (laughs) legislators, to have a say over who draws the maps for the areas they are being asked to legislate. That just says, hey, let's have as much cheating and chicanery as possible. So I think that this is going to make the move toward having independent bodies like there already are in some states become the law to land when it comes to redistricting.
1: You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM, and we're talking to Ms. Denise Clay Murray, who is a columnist and editor for the Philadelphia Sun. We're getting her take on these historic midterm elections. Let's turn specifically now uh, to Pennsylvania uh, and look at what transpired. First thing I want to talk about, Pennsylvania has elected its first black lieutenant governor talk to us about this
3: well austin davis he was a i believe he was a state representative before he became the first black lieutenant governor and he to to be honest that was another thing i was kind of surprised of but i was surprised about that in the primary because pennsylvania if you've observed pennsylvania at all you know it's not really kind to two groups of people when it comes to statewide races women and people of color. There have been very few women that have served in in row offices in in Pennsylvania, and even fewer people of color. In fact, before Mr. Davis became the lieutenant governor-elect, the only other person of color that we had in a row office was um, Timothy DeFore, the Auditor General, and probably the biggest reason he won was because he was running against a woman when he ran for his seat. And... Because, like I said, Pennsylvania really doesn't take kindly to women running for row offices. You know, of course, he was going to win. Now, it's good to see that Austin Davis won, but what he, he's going he's going to have to deal with a legislature that, while the Democrats may take the House, the Senate is still going to be mostly Republican and they're, and and Republican dominated. So, there's a lot of stuff. That he's going to be asked to handle on behalf of the black community, and I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. Because let's face it, you know, you're the lieutenant governor for everybody, and that was kind of, And it kind of reminds me of when Barack Obama was president. You have people who are still running around talking about he never did anything specifically for black people, and of course that totally dismisses the Affordable Care Act which, you know, black people have some of the biggest problems when it comes to not having health insurance in anybody. And, you know, I get the feeling that Austin Davis is going to have to deal with some of that. But that said, it was good that he um that he got, you know, the, the nominee that he that he won his race. But I also think what helped him is that Josh Shapiro decided Um, early in the game, and he was going to be his running mate. Um, We never heard from the woman who was running with Doug Mastriano because he never really campaigned with her all that much. So, you know, it, it helps when the person at the top of the ticket actually embraces you
1: right, right, right. And I guess you brought up Barack, totally a separate topic, and we can talk about it again. I'm a huge supporter of President Obama. But Democrats just in general, Denise, uh, I just don't think that we have the killer instinct that Republicans have. You know, when you say that, you know, a lot of us and a lot of black folk do say Barack didn't do a lot for the community. But man, that executive order is powerful, at least for the time he's in office. And Trump made major use uh, of executive orders. And sometimes you just got to walk over folk who are just insisting at being an obstructionist just to be an obstructionist. But again, whole nother conversation but just triggered that thought in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. let's 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 talk a little bit about uh Oz and Mastriano. Obviously both of them were defeated in Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. and that's I guess an indication that uh, Pennsylvania hadn't gone as radical right uh, as some other states, because I got to tell you, uh, it blew my It's blowing my mind uh, that there's a runoff in Georgia. Uh, It's blowing my mind that Herschel Walker really is in contention for this seat and may end up deciding uh, uh, the control of the Senate if he is elected. Uh, But in Pennsylvania, it seems like philadelphians pittsburgh seems like like as you say the, the the constituents from middle alabama uh decided that mastriano and oz were just too far right uh for our state talk to us a little bit about that
3: well in the case of dr oz dr Mehmet oz um he couldn't get away from the fact that he just popped up in pennsylvania And if you talk to Pennsylvanians, the last thing they want is anyone from New Jersey representing them. And one thing that you have to hand the Fetterman campaign is they made that accusation of Oz actually living in New Jersey stick. And it stuck to him like glue. And he couldn't get away from it. And that's despite the fact that Oz was doing something that Fetterman wasn't doing at first. He was campaigning in Philadelphia. He was campaigning in the Philadelphia ring suburbs. It took a long time for activists to get John Fetterman to actually come to Philadelphia and spend any time here. In fact, he didn't spend much time here until the last two weeks of the of the campaign. But Oz was here all the time. Oz was Oz was meeting with black ministers. Oz was you know, going to neighborhoods that Fetterman didn't necessarily go to. And I think that the reason he lost was because he was was being this, like, hardcore Trumper for most of the campaign, and it wasn't until it was too late that he decided to moderate a little bit. But by that time, everybody had kind of, like, you know, gotten their opinion of him, particularly after he started... Um, basically picking on Fetterman about his stroke. You have a lot of people in Pennsylvania, because Pennsylvania is a state that's got a lot of of senior citizens in it. And some of them have had strokes or know someone that's had a stroke, and they've seen the process of them trying to recover from that. When you use that as a means of campaigning to, you know, disparage your opponent, that's going to cost you. And that's kind of what happened with him. Now, with Mastriano, a lot of folks were wondering how he ended up the nominee in the first place, because he didn't have to be the Republican nominee. The Republicans had other choices, but they chose him. And then they wondered why this person who was, you know, who was going around saying things like, you know, A woman's right to choose doesn't exist, although he supported people who didn't want to get COVID vaccination who were saying, my body, my choice. And they didn't take into consideration the fact that this was also a man that was going around talking about how he should be able to decertify voting machines and how he was going to appoint somebody secretary of state that would do his bidding in terms of voting. And you add the fact that he actually took a couple of busloads of people to the January 6th insurrection. And you have a candidate that in the end, not even his own party on the national level, gave money to. So that was just, you know, the the Republicans kind of asked for this loss in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I, I'm excited about where Pennsylvania is going Uh, going to be interesting to see what happens in the Senate and uh, between the House. But um, I I do, before we leave, Denise, I do want to talk a little bit uh, about the upcoming mayoral race. Uh, I've had all of the candidates on the show. Uh, so far, all of the all of the all of the council members that have resigned uh, to seek the office, and I do believe probably now that the midterms over. I keep telling people, uh, I believe Jeff Brown's going to announce any minute uh, that he's going to be running for mayor. Uh, what do you see in our future? How is it shaping up? Uh, what does Philadelphia look like under its 100th mayor?
3: Well, first of all, I think that based purely on volume, Philadelphia is going to get its first female mayor. Um, There are too many women running that are really, really good candidates for them to be totally ignored in the primary. So I think that in the end, the standard bearer is going to be a woman. Now, what will that woman be walking into? In a lot of ways, a hot mess. Um, And I say that because, you know, we're probably going to get someone as mayor who is going to be more law and order than we're used to over the last few mayoral cycles. And I say that because the gun violence problem is still very much an issue. And when you have kids getting, you know, when you have kids at Temple University being the victim of a home invasion robbery or you have shootings in on places like South street and, and different tourist areas, whoever becomes the mayor is going to be expected to solve that problem. And they're going to be expected to solve it in a way that is a lot, is a little closer to Michael Nutter and his attitude towards stopping Chris than it is Jim Kenny and his attitude towards stopping Chris. So, And then on top of it, you have budget issues and different things going on in the city. And hopefully some of those budget issues can be solved by the um, state legislature coming off of some of the millions of dollars that it is kept in reserve from American Rescue Plan money that was actually supposed to be spent on stuff that the Commonwealth needed. But um, that, you know, that saying You know, it's going to be an interesting mayor's race. I'm interested particularly to see what role, if any, sexism ends up playing in this. Because, like I said, there's a whole lot of women running. Some have not announced yet. But it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out.
1: Yeah, you know, we hear Helen Gim will probably announce her candidacy, Uh, (laughs) you know, again, I just, and I've said this to city council members, there's so many of them running, mm-hmm. splitting up the vote, that it really does give an outsider a chance to come right up the middle and win.
3: Well, uh, that's, so, how, that's how Michael Nutter became mayor, yeah, because you had yeah. all of these really high-powered people that were running, and they split up the vote so much, he was able to slide in and become the mayor. But that said... You you bring up a good point regarding city council. Everybody really needs to keep an eye on who is going to run for city council, because I don't think we watch them enough. And in the end, while the mayor creates the budget and, and signs the budget, it's council that decides the budget. And right. we really need to keep an eye on that.
1: Absolutely. Well, Denise Clay Murray, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office. You see, it wasn't that bad, was it?
3: No, I wasn't in trouble or anything. That's that's good.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, listen. Do me a favor before you leave. Why don't you just share whatever social media tags you may have so our listeners can stay in touch with you?
3: Okay, I'm real easy to find on, particularly on Twitter and Instagram. I even have a TikTok, a TikTok TikTok account. Um, They're all Denise the writer. That's D-E-N-I-S-E-T-H-E-W-R-I-T-E-R, and that's all one word. And if you're looking for me on Facebook, I'm Denise Clay Murray.
1: All right. Well, listen, thank you for joining us. And as this uh, mayoral race heats up and as we have other political issues, I'm hoping we can call you back and talk to you again. But thank you for being with us today.
3: Oh, thank you. You're welcome.
1: And we'll be right back with a special tribute to end our show after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly Saver listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. I, I wanted to do something that I've, I don't think I've done before uh, in the almost three years of our program. I, I want to end the show by sharing a, a tribute. Uh, right now it's almost three o'clock, and I'm going to be going back down to my office to prepare uh, for a very rare Sunday afternoon funeral. Typically in the North, we don't have funerals on Sundays. But uh, And actually, in the life of Northeast Baptist Church, the church I pastor, and I've been a member since I was two years old, so that's 48 years, I think we've only had two other Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening funerals. Today, We are going to celebrate the life of a young lady. Her name is Sister Eunice Robinson. Sister Robinson joined Northeast Baptist Church in October of 2017. It's a funny story because her intention was never to join our church. Her daughter and son-in-law have been longtime members of Northeast. And her desire was to have her daughter and son join her at the church that she was attending prior to October of 2017. To have the whole family together. And they convinced her to come visit Northeast. Uh, she visited, I think, two or three times, and then guess what? She never left. Uh, and, and, and not only did she not leave She joined the church and immediately got busy. You see, she had a great skill of beautifying the church. She was an amazing decorator. She had an eye for color. So for every major event that we had over these last five years, you could see her fingerprint on the church in our fellowship hall, in the sanctuary of balloon bridges and rose petals on the floor, decorations on the wall. She was just amazing. And not only did she decorate, but she had a mind for social justice. She was a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, a proud member uh, of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And she would always, and I'd always tease her about making the wrong choice, telling her she should have been a member of Zeta Phi Beta. But one thing we always agreed on was that our organizations had a strong connection to social justice. So she'd always come in and talk to me about, could we do voter registration drives? Uh, Could we have information in the vestibule about election reforms and and different issues that were impacting the people of our community? Uh, Bottom line is, she made an impact you know you don't have to be a member of an organization of a church of a community for 50 years to make an impact in five years this young lady made an amazing impact on our church she's a mother of two beautiful daughters she's a grandmother she's still a daughter she's a sister She's going to be greatly missed. Uh, Sister Eunice uh, went into the hospital for some tests uh, about a month ago. Uh, and sadly, those tests triggered a lot more investigation into her health condition. Uh, and physically, she declined quickly uh, and passed away last week. I say Physically because spiritually she never declined. Her faith in the God that she served remained strong until her last day. So today we celebrate Sister Eunice Robinson. Today we show our love and our appreciation for the impact that she had on Northeast Baptist Church. So I wanna ask you pray for the family pray for the family pray for her daughters pray for our congregation pray for the pastor because let me tell you something pastors become connected to their members i want you to know if you're a member of a church you're also the extended member of your pastor's family and he be yours if we're doing this thing right and so a member of our family has gone on to be with the lord but as i will always share When you are saved, when you know that Jesus died for your sins and rose again to provide you a mansion in the sky, even though you've passed from this world, you're never lost. We know where you are. Sister Robinson, in a half hour, we're going to celebrate a life well lived, and we're going. To give God the glory and give God the praise. All right, Phyllis Faber. I'll talk to you next Sunday when we have another great show for you. Until then, don't you ever leave the presence of the Lord. He's got you covered. Be
0: well. Political to maybe some lies <laughs> While you are listening to Phyllis Faber.